Hello. 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 Is this uh, Dr. Donald S. Schaffner, PhD professor, doctor? You forgot BSMS. BSMSC. No, um, no, no, no. I don't think we use the the MSC in the United I know, States. You don't, just the why MS. Is that? Why is I don't that? know, but you know, people people that went to MIT they do have a DSC. What does that mean? Doctor of Science. Oh, MIT. Oh, those are my keys, by the way. They're in my pocket. <laughs> okay. It's, um, it's uh, I'm doing a little foley here. MIT. <laughs> they've got keys. They got keys to the cars at MIT. And oh, and my microphone's not in the right position. Oh, and I don't I don't have my bell because otherwise that foley would have got a ding. Ding. Uh, there we go. Um, Emma, I didn't know that. Hey. Uh, yeah. I, the, the master's doctor of science. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Are they still called a they still called a doctor though. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. They still you still have to call him doctor. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a real doctor. Well, neither are we. <laughs> It's fine. I mean, what would you like to operate on someone? Oh, no. God, no. God, no. no. Blood and all that. Ugh, forget no. it. No. I, I, I mean, I, uh, I, I, don't uh, even, I don't even want to get the first aid merit badge. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's how bad I am with blood. I just, yeah. I, oof. I don't even have the first aid merit ba- badge. Mm-hmm. I, would, I, I don't want to be an ear, throat, and nose doctor. Like, I don't want to be looking at people's noses and throats and ears. But, you know, I will, I will talk about poop and vomit all day long. <laughs> I, I, I will, too. I will, too. So maybe, maybe we're just cut out to be gastroenterologists. I could be. What's such a, uh, speaking of poop. <laughs> yes. Uh, As you do. I'd like, to tell, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my... Uh, about your poop? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm eating my breakfast here, Ben. Yeah, it's fun. It's not... That's not so bad. Um, so, so I, uh, I I've recently returned from uh, Guatemala. Is that how they say it? That's how the yeah. That's how huh. people in Guatemala say it. Guatemala. Okay. No, I don't. I don't know. I I might be like that's like someone who's not from Canada saying that you're from Canada. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> and uh, I I ate. Um, I, I did a lot of risk management while I was while I was eating. Did you did you do good? Did you did you manage the risk well, or did you manage the risk poorly? Because fairly uh, well, fairly well, oh, okay. except for like there was there. I would say there was one misstep mm. uh, that I made uh, that was that was taste based. Mm. Um, so 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 Guatemala, according to its Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. to its Wikipedia page, um, it mentions or somewhere that I read about this that uh, Guatemala has a lot of tamales. Uh huh. I like myself a tamale. Ah, uh, yes, a hot tamale. I, a hot tamale, uh, a, a picante. I believe. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, tamale de picante. I think yeah, is what it, they say. Yeah, yeah. And well, there's a song about hot tamales. Yes, there is. The Wiggles sing. <laughs> um, a- anyway, I read somewhere. Okay, so cuisine from mm. the Wikipedia page. Many traditional Guatemalan cuisine, cuisines are based on Maya cu- Mayan cuisine mm-hmm. and prominently feature corn, chilies, beans as key ingredients. And mm. so right there, I'm in. Right, right. Check all three of those things I love. Yep. There are also foods that are commonly eaten on certain days a week. For example, it's a popular custom to eat peaches. No, sorry, not peaches. <laughs> Pachas, <laughs> a kind of tamale made from... <laughs> Pachas, it's a kind of peach. It's a kind of a peach. It's it's a tomato. It's a potato peach, and you eat it on Thursdays. Certain dishes are also associated with special occasions, um, and tamales and ponch, ponche, a hot drink with actual pieces of fruit in it, which are both very common around Christmas. Blah blah blah. Huh. And then I read some other article that said there are like two hundred different types of types of tamales mm. in in Guatemala. So it, I made it my 
job to eat all all the best tamales. Um, and I ate a lot of them. And then I ate one. This might not have been the greatest risk management decision, but I did eat one out of a bag that uh, that a street vendor was selling outside of a market. And it was the most ridiculously cheap tamale. Um, it ended up uh, uh, being about 52 cents U.S., and it was delicious. Um, it was very hot when I ate it, and I say very hot from a – um, I think that it was held at, at, a, at a temperature above 135 mm, degrees. Okay. Based on it burnt my mouth. Hmm. Um, oh, so I, was that the poor risk management decision, the, Ma- managing the burning of the mouth? No, I, okay. I think the poor risk management decision was I, I ate something from a, from a street vendor. Oh, but it was hot. I, you know, when, I, hot. When, I was, hot. when I was in India, I ate a ton of different kinds. Well, not a literal ton, but I ate a lot of different kinds of food, um, but uh, always hot and never got sick. So I, I really think, uh, I really think temperature, I was, t- I was telling people this yesterday, actually, that, uh, you know, temperature is really important in controlling microbial risk and, and cooking, uh, cooking really helps uh, control risk. Yeah. It, and so, so it was that, but the, so the tamale was, was very hot. The, um, Guacamole and ranchero sauce that is tomato based that they put on top of it was not very hot. Mm. And it was really good. And there was also some queso that was on top that I think was like queso fresco. So overall that that was a not probably the greatest decision. Oh, so I, the, the tamale was safe, but the sauce is not maybe not so much. Right. Right, right, right. Mm. Um and so But uh but you're not sick. I'm not sick. I've I've had some interesting because this is a this is a poop podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Am I getting, is, food, is that food, correct? Food, food safety poop or food poop safety, safety talk? Yes, poop safety talk. Um, I've had some some interesting movements, mm-hmm. not and I'm not in a not in a classical music kind of way, right? Or a dance way? <laughs> dance, yeah. Um, the, yeah, there've been some. They've they've just. They've just been surprised. Let's, let's just say everything is not. Uh, it's let's just say it's atypical. It is a yeah. It's not my not my normal not my normal situation. Hmm. It's coming. It's 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 arriving at, at unpredictable times. <laughs> it is taking un, unpredictable forms. Um, huh. and, and it's been. Um, it, it, it was not. It, it's it's not like I don't feel. Yeah. It's it, there's no. There are no other symptoms hmm. uh, other than that. So, hmm. so anyway, so, but who knows? Like, so this is, you know, my um, field epidemiology, uh, not being a real gastroenterologist. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, there's lots of things that I ended up getting exposed to while I was there that could lead to this. Yes, the tamale toppings might be one of them. Um, you know what you should have done before you went? What? You should have had some raw milk. I should have had some raw milk. That would because have, because apparently true. I learned yesterday that this actually might help make you resistant to food poisoning. Well, being that it's uh, it is the anti hygiene hypothesis or the well, antidote to no, the but there's like good bacteria. Ben, Ben, oh, there's sorry. good bacteria and there's bad bacteria. That's true. That's that, okay. Fair and enough. and raw milk can have some of the good bacteria. Apparently, I mean, according to the people that I was talking to yesterday. Like the and they've written books. They've written actual books on raw milk. Ben, all the they're all, published. They're published authors. All the best books. <laughs> all, all the great books. <laughs> all the great books. All, I have used that I, terminology. That 
maybe 600 times in the last two weeks. Oh, it's I, I still think it's hilarious. It's the best, yes. Um, M- Michelle Michelle Daniluk, uh, our good friend who uh, has made appearances on the podcast. Um, who also went to Guatemala. Right, right, yeah. So we were in Guatemala together traveling, and um, and, and there were times that people would say things that, that would always result in one of us saying, all all the best of whatever that is, mm-hmm. all the greatest, all mm-hmm. the good. Um, and it had no no context. Like it was, I'm going to eat tamales, <laughs> all, all the best tamales, uh-huh. all the greatest tamales. Um, so anyway, yeah. So so the poop situations. It's I'm I'm not. It, it's not symptomatic of of a food borne illness. Like mm-hmm. I, in the sense that it's just changed the um, the movement situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel feel really good. I feel great, and I ate a lot of so. You, okay, you so and James Brown. Me and James. Yeah, I feel yeah. good. We f- I feel good. Um, James, so, can I? I'm going to tell you more about my my risk management. Please do. Decisions. So, I love fresh fruits and vegetables. I eat a lot of them. In fact, I probably eat a lot of them in the United States that originate in Guatemala. Mm. When in Guatemala, I ate none of them except for pineapple. Huh. Well, I just figured that that was the one that that had that was the least likely to make me sick. Pineapple. I eat a ton of pineapple. Yeah, um, pineapple has a low pH. I feel I feel pineapple is a safe choice, and that's that's not really based on any evidence, uh, um, well, except expert, to say that uh, yeah, I, I feel you know it makes me feel safe. Yeah, I, expert uh, elicitation, I would say. <laughs> sure, uh, we don't have outbreaks that we can. Uh, well, that's true. Pineapple, that's true. Um, it, there is. I've, I actually read a recent uh, paper, and let me see if I can find it. Something about the pineapple. Um, there are some compounds in pineapple that are antimicrobial. Mm. Well, there's there's definitely papaine. Uh, there is pineapple antimicrobial. Um, here we go. Something uh, pineapple extract. Hmm. And it, uh, it seems to work. Hmm. Well, maybe that's gonna. Maybe that will fix all of our food safety problems. Could be. So, so you what? should you should publish a paper on that. I should, and maybe a book on the good bacteria in the in pineapple. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that that was, and then I ate a lot of very hot food, mm. like not picante, mm. not like like temperature hot. Well, also I did some a little bit of picante, but, um, and so so I think that's that. I mean, that's how I managed the rest. The water situation is interesting mm. mm-hmm. in, in the Guatemala where. Um, some of the, ho- two of the hotels that we stayed at, uh, w- sorry, we stayed at two hotels. One of them said, don't drink our water. Here's purified water. Mm-hmm. And the other one said, drink from the taps. It's good. Um, and, hmm. and I'm I, thinking behind the scenes, those are connected to the same water supply, but I could be wrong. Could be. And I use bottled water in both of those places just as a risk management. Decision. Now, now what do you, this speaking of risk management, yeah. what about in a situation where, you're uncertain about the water or you've been provided with bottled water and told not to drink water from the tap. How do you brush your teeth? I would use a bottle of water. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's like – and, and uh, even with a bottled water situation, I don't know how safe it is, right? Like I, I've read other things about bottled water you know, coming from springs but not being – you know, it's not chlorinated, or maybe it hasn't gone through. Who knows? I don't know the whole situation, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I just—it's a—it's largely a trust trust thing. So when in the water systems, I've basically just said, okay, well, I'm going to go with bottled water, and I'll brush my teeth with bottled water. Mm. Now, how how do you take a shower? I I do not use the bottled water, and <laughs> right. I just hope that it uh, meets the um, the drinking the bathing water standard. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just like yeah, just like yeah. what we're putting on our fresh Crops. produce. It's exactly where I was going to go with that. <laughs> 
Yeah. Now, um, do you do you try to um, uh, work extra hard to keep your mouth closed while you're bathing, uh, while you're showering? Uh, I never really thought about it. I don't. Mm. I so I'm. I don't. I don't work extra hard to open my mouth while I'm showering. <laughs> well, so, but, yeah, and, and you obviously don't have a habit when you're showering no. to just sort of let the water stream into your mouth just as part of your shower routine. I didn't. I'm learning so much about you today. <laughs> I'm not saying this is me. I'm just saying that a person I'm a do friend. This. I have a friend. Who, <laughs> a friend who's not me. Who tends to do this. Um, no, I, I'm not. I, yeah, I can't say that I do that. I, I am a um, back-to-the-shower Spout, not front to the shower spout kind of guy. Oh, okay, interesting. That, All right, well that 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 definitely reduces your risk. Yeah, and it's not from a it's not a food safety reason. I just I huh, prefer, yeah, that's my, that's my that's my alignment. That's huh. my, that's my well, shower. I, I tend to rotate in the shower, front front and back and sides. So I got a system <laughs> where I, I, I how do you how do you get the soap off your front? Oh well, I let it <laughs> hit my shoulders. Uh, okay, you guess yes. kind of you lean back. I do. I do. Okay. Yes. Welcome to Shower Safety Talk. <laughs> this is this is the most instructional of any of our podcasts so far. So I will, yeah, I, I like. I, I don't. I don't. What I really don't like is water hitting my face. Huh? Like well, I, that that would definitely reduce your risk of, uh, of yeah. ingestion if you don't like that. Yeah, I just I have very sensitive eyes, and, <laughs> and I don't like to put uh, put stuff in my eyes at all. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I like I'm, I'm back back to the to the nozzle, and it provides some excitement when you have those <laughs> rain shower comes from the ceiling. You know the one of those uh, spouts. What I don't know what are they called. Like, I'm I'm just thinking of the movie <laughs> Back to the Nozzle. <laughs> Yeah, it's back to the nozzle. There you go. I don't know. I, I probably don't. Let's not have anybody Google that. Um, no, please don't. Uh, oh so, dear. I'm sorry, so, Ben. I'm getting no, silly. Uh, that's okay. So, so I that is that's my shower uh, routine. Um, but so no, I mean, I I, the, I worry less about the water that I'm showering with than I do the stuff that I'm brushing my teeth with. But mm-hmm. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm all about the bottle of water when it comes to toothbrushing, and mm-hmm. I don't even rinse my toothbrush off with the. Um, you know, with the tap, with tap water, right. Like right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty strict on that, um, situation. And it, and it like, I mean, <clears throat> historically seems to work. Um, and even, you know, even today, maybe I, I might have something going on, but it's not, it's not really bothering me. Like it's, like I said, it's just a surprising, um, taking a stri- surprising form. Hmm. Yep. Um, I so let me I, this you know again this is uh, poop safety talk. Mm-hmm. I've had some surprising form movements post my Campylobacter um, uh, infection. Ah, so you're saying maybe things just are never going to be quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Like when I when I travel sometimes, or when I eat um, really like fatty foods mm-hmm. or a lot of food, mm-hmm. I have a very um, my my body has a response that is very similar to what I had never experienced until I had Campylobacter. Hmm. Um, well, that's fascinating. And, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's fascinating for everyone. No, well, I mean, I, I and I'm, I'm being totally. You, you are know, fascinated. I, 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 this is this is really interesting. And you think about, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but this is an opportunity to do it again, uh, talking about um, uh, the human microbiome and the fact that we really don't understand the bacteria that live in and, and on our bodies. 
you know, the bacteria on our skin, the bacteria in our intestines. And, and obviously it's an ecosystem, right? And it's right. an ecosystem that we have a very limited ability, previously had a limited ability to explore because we can't culture many of these organisms. Now, thanks to, um, you know, uh, DNA sequencing, we can at least sequence the DNA of these organisms that we can't culture. But, but how you study that, and again, most of the, the studies that I've seen tend to be snapshots in time of people, but I really wonder what, what will happen, what would happen to an individual over time. So let's say we, we follow Ben Chapman's you know, micro, microflora, you know, prior to the Campylobacter outbreak, after the Campylobacter or, or uh, infection, rather. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then what's going on with this latest trip to Guatemala? I mean, it would be so cool to know, like to have like a little readout, you know, like of, uh, well, okay, so now uh, we got more of these and less of these and, you know, this has shifted. I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating to me. It, yeah, and it, it happens <clears throat> like, so it, it all seems to rectify itself over a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like it's like two or three days of, of the, you know, the post, post Campylobacter stuff. And then, uh, then everything's good, good as gold again. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And what I uh, like, and here's how I manage it. I eat a lot of yogurt. I don't know if that does anything. I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to like repopulate my body, uh, Mm -hmm. with, with stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it goes away eventually. Hmm. And I have no, like, I literally have no idea whether that does anything. I've just thought that, well, there's a lot of active culture, so maybe I'll put that into my intestines. Well, and, you know, and there's, I think there's a fair amount of research that shows that most of that, what you're, that you're putting in doesn't establish itself, right? It right, just, right. it just kind of goes through, but at least it maybe helps to like set a baseline, right? Like by putting all of those, uh, lactic acid bacteria through your intestine, you're not ever going to colonize your intestine, but they're at least going to help what bacteria are there to kind of right themselves or, or reestablish equilibrium or, or something. Exactly. And yeah. So now I'm eating almonds, which are going to do none of that. Mm. Um, but yeah. So, so anyway, that's the, that's the poop safety talk portion of the, of our day today. Hmm. Do you, um, have you ever been to Guatemala? I have not been to Guatemala. I have visited uh, Central and South America before, but I have not been to Guatemala. So tell me, I was very interested in this actually, and I know we've we talked about it maybe not on the podcast, but this and this was kind of this whole thing was kind of an interesting adventure for you to get there, um, which our it listeners was. don't know because you well, we're, so we're just one week post a uh, big snowstorm in the United States. Um, so it's February as we record this, it's probably June as you're listening to this. Mm. Um, but, um, so, so can you, <coughs> excuse me, I know I would be very interested and I think the listeners would too, um, be very interested in, well, my travel in, 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 in your travels and, and, and obviously where you were, where your passport was, where the snow was, but, yes. uh, but uh, from a more practical point of view, why were you in Guatemala and what, what did you hope? to accomplish and and did you accomplish that and 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 maybe uh, who was there to help you do that yeah yeah okay so so here's the 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 long the long version of the story so um the week that the snow was hitting i was with our good friend michelle daniluk who i've now basically we live together i've seen her three times in the last three weeks we're we're tight um and uh, at a meeting in Florida that um, she was hosting uh, as part of a regional center for FISMA implementation as it relates to produce, um, a, a, a contract or a grant, I don't know the particulars of it, that, that she and I are on. She's the, the PI. And um, prior to uh, this 
um, this whole um, uh, meeting going down, we people were dropping out because of the snowmageddon that was going to hit the East Coast. And largely the line for this snow came across Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. South of us got rain. North of us got snow. We were in this you know weird spot. Um, do so. I flew in on a Wednesday. We had our meeting Thursday and Friday. I was due to fly out Friday afternoon. My flight was canceled Friday afternoon. Could not get back to Raleigh. Kind of and and I kind of being not planning things very well um, because I was to fly to Guatemala on Sunday. I left things in Raleigh with, I guess, the hope and the belief that I would be back to get them. Those things included my passport, my green card, a suit jacket, um, sensible shoes, thing, all things that were going to be important for me during my trip to Guatemala. And so there was a, a, a time where it was uh, unclear <coughs> excuse me, whether I would um, be able to – like – whether I would get back to Raleigh in time to get on a flight on Sunday morning to get out and have all my stuff and whether people who were leaving Raleigh would meet me in Atlanta where we were all connecting to go to Guatemala because I could fly from Florida to Atlanta but I couldn't maybe get from Atlanta back to Raleigh and this whole thing was become became very um, messy but it all worked out. So I was one of five or six flights that landed um, at the Raleigh airport on Saturday, I got to spend uh, 18 hours with my family, and then I uh, got up early and flew to Guatemala on Sunday. So, hmm. um, but it all worked. It, it all it all worked out, and, and Michelle made it, and, and no one was delayed, and 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 so so who was I there with, and what was I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle and I were um, were asked to consult uh, with a group called RTI International. Mm-hmm. And it stands for the Research Triangle. Institute. I know those people. They're there's some good peeps. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, indeed. They're they're kind of like I didn't realize sort of how big they were, but they have like something like forty thousand employees, um, and some that are here. And it's Research Triangle is is here in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. That is the Research Triangle. And so this this group was started in the fifties by the chancellors from. Those three universities, uh, or the three universities that we have here, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke University, and NC State, uh, as well as the governor as a way to keep um, graduates of the institutions here uh, and not have them leave the state. Um, and so they set this this group up. They do a lot of international work. They do a lot of domestic work as it relates to engineering and infrastructure and health and wellness and economic diversity, a whole bunch of different things, and also food safety. So they are looking to um, do more food safety work in uh, Central America. They have an office in El Salvador and uh, invited us to be part of uh, a delegation to go give a a workshop on food safety for fresh produce, uh, as well as uh, meet with some universities and potential partners, and um, and also really for us as as faculty members at universities to learn a little bit about um, RTI and look for partnering opportunities. They're a not-for-profit organization, and they do they they go after like big-time grants, like twenty-one million dollars from USAID. Or you know, fifty million dollars from the Gates Foundation, and they coordinate a lot of stuff on capacity building, um, 
so for for us, it was kind of a cool place to um, to learn a little bit more about them. But the, but their jo- their goal was to see whether they could um, provide food safety help um, to to Guatemala and expand um, their you know their partner their partnerships. It was it was really interesting. Um, I learned some stuff like snow peas and French beans. A lot of them. Uh, that that is, I don't know how much of the snow peas and French beans, beans that we consume in the U.S. comes from Guatemala, but that's a major export for them in their fresh produce world. And the French beans are like trimmed, so there's a cutting process. They're shipped by um, both of the products are shipped via boat from Guatemala to Miami, and then. Um, driven throughout the U.S. or even airshipped from Miami to uh, to Europe, um, they have sometimes like a 30-day shelf life on them um, for those products. And so we we talked a lot. Michelle and I got to to tour uh, a packing plant, and we talked quite a bit about listeria. And and I, in fact, during our workshop, we talked with the exporting industry about um, whole gen- whole genome sequencing and listeria. And, and things that you and I have talked about as sort of uh, important stuff that the industry might not fully be aware of, but needs to um, at least have a sense of what is happening um, in that area. So it was it was very it was very cool. We had a we had a really um, good learning you know experience and, and had a about 140 uh, people uh, come to our, our workshop. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite, it was really good. Yeah. It's, it sounds good. And yeah, and I've worked <clears throat> on some risk assessment stuff with folks from RTI before, and it's a really, it's a very sort of interesting group. I mean, in some ways they're sort of like what we would call the beltway bandit. That is, you know, these consulting firms that sit, uh, uh, inside or just inside or just outside the Washington beltway, but they're not right. They're down in, in North Carolina. And right. obviously they draw on the, the three schools of the research triangle, but, um, increasingly obviously elsewhere. And yeah, just get involved in a whole lot of, and, and, and in some ways they sort of remind me, um, more of like a hybrid between a, a beltway bandit and something like the national Academy of sciences, right. Which is, which is an, again, and, and you know, sort of nonprofit and, and out to get to do the best possible science and yeah, just very just a very interesting group. And it sounds like it was a very interesting uh, uh, trip for you as well. And that's fantastic that you got um, got to, to get in front of so many people from the industry. And of course, anybody that was in, that was doing food safety um, in the U.S. in the mid '90s, you know, if you ask them what do you think about Guatemala, they'll say, "Well, how safe are the raspberries?" Right. right so obviously, right. Guatemala has a history of investing in infrastructure to produce uh, fresh fruits and vegetables for export to the U.S. and other places. And uh, they kind of had a bit of an oops uh, with the, the cyclospora in, in raspberries outbreak from quite a number of years ago, but. Obviously, I think they've you know the fact that you guys were there and talking to them and and they've they've gotten involved in other crops, um, you know uh, they've they've obviously fixed those those problems and, and are continuing to to try to do stuff to you know leverage their less expensive labor and their close proximity to uh, North American markets to to be able to you know deliver these kinds of products that that are not in in season for us uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, um they also in in the mid two thousands had some issues with with snow peas, cyclosporin mm-hmm, and snow peas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was so so it was a really interesting like the things that we we learned about the production model, the business model 
is something you know, we, Michelle and I talked a lot about FISMA and um, complying with both the preventive control and produce rule. And we were, you know, a couple of people sort of shared with us and said, here, here are our big challenges. When it comes to suppliers, we may have, I don't know, let's say 30 or 40 packing facilities that do snow peas and French beans. And, uh, you know, again, it depended on who you talked to and it wasn't really clear, like there was a big association of these groups. So I don't know exactly how many, but let's say it's, it's somewhere in that, in that range. And those, if they're, you're looking just, you know, right at snow peas that those 30 or 40 packing plants may get their products from producers, um, that total over 50,000. So, so you have this supplier verification and supplier management issue with those packing facilities where many of the places where they're getting these peas from are, are farmers that are farming uh, a quarter acre, a half acre, you know, certainly many of them no, no more than an acre of land. And, and so, you know, we think about challenges in water testing and we think about challenges in, you know, really creating a food safety plan on a acre of land um, for, for someone who um, has, has done agriculture, you know, that's their entire, entire life. They, they likely have never um, uh, learned to read. Um, uh, often they're not, if they are communicating, it's, it's in one of 23 or 24 um, uh, indigenous people languages, probably not Spanish. Um, and, and they're, I mean, essentially responsible for um, managing water, managing uh, soil amendments, um, you know, managing any of their um, family or or individuals who they do hire to help with the harvest, their employee hygiene, and then tracking and documenting all that. It's a it's a really big challenge. Well, yeah, imagine imagine the problem that Chipotle is facing with trying to source locally and now add uh, a language complexity and educational complexity. Um, you know, and it just I mean, look and look how poorly Chipotle failed, and and the fact that we had that's that's like raised by an order of magnitude. The complexity is like an order of magnitude yeah. more complicated in Guatemala, and yet, you know, uh, uh, raspberries and snow peas aside, um, you know, they seem to be doing a pretty good job these days, or, or at least, uh, you know, I haven't heard about any recent recalls or outbreaks linked to uh, linked to stuff in Guatemala. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah, and, and it's um, the, you know, if we look at the sort of risk assessment side of things and look at the historical contamination or any of the outbreaks, um, you know, that, that's a, it's a starting point. The, where they're, where they're really worried is how do we, how do we comply with the law? Not, you know, how do we make the food safer? All, you know, hopefully those two things are linked to each other, but it's just the registering, managing water, um, making sure that as, as a buyer, of you know one of these thirty places that maybe I'm dealing with ten thousand suppliers. How do I have all of the the like like you said with, with Chipotle? How do I have everything in order for ten thousand suppliers to see that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? Not that they are, but do we have all the documentation there? Um, yeah, it was it, it was quite um, it was quite an interesting trip to to discuss that and and I don't know I didn't I didn't do my homework um, to see what kind of um, uh, individuals that we might have in the IAFP membership database who are from Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we we met 
with uh, University um, uh, Divai, the University, uh, the Valley of uh, uh, Guatemala is a private university, and and they were they did have some food safety folks, um, some folks that had had taught post harvest handling. Uh, a course with uh, with some folks at UC Davis, um, but largely it was for quality and and a lot of their concerns around food safety are around mycotoxins, um, especially because it's a, a highly corn based diet, especially in the rural areas. So they grow a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables and export them, but don't eat them um, typically within within their you know uh, cultural traditional diet. Really, I mean, it's really fascinating. Hmm. Oh yeah, no, definitely. It sounds very interesting. It was yeah, it was a great. It was. Um, you know, a great, uh, a great experience, and and, and you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was a wonderful country to to visit, but it was also like, um, it, it was, in I don't know, intellectually satisfying. I don't know if that's the right word, mm-hmm. but you know, like I, it was it was just having these conversations and trying to work through um, some of the issues and, and understanding the issues better uh, with those who are on the ground, you know, retailers and buyers and um, folks that are you know, very comfortable with the exporting um, talking about, okay, we, we do have to figure this whole process out or, or we're not going to be able to export any of our stuff. And then our, uh, you know, the agriculture export economy falls apart. It was, uh, yeah, it was, re- it was re- some real, it was, it was for reals. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, yeah. It sounds like time, time well spent, you know, and <clears throat> I've been doing some, some work, you know, thinking about, uh, getting ready for this podcast. Um, and I, I think, I think I may have come across a very important discovery about what's causing the problem with your digestive system. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Thank and, you. And I think it's, I think it's your thoughts, Ben. Um, because, true. because, uh, Deepak Chopra, well-known scientist and bacterial bacteriologist, he says, Ben, that bacteria can listen to our thoughts. And so I think, I think the problem is you've just been thinking about the wrong thing. I probably have been thinking about the wrong thing. I've been thinking, I mean, day in and day out about uh, the bacteria making people sick, the mm-hmm. bad, the bad mm-hmm. bacteria. Yeah. It's, I, 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 it's going to be hard for me to argue against that. Exactly, because exactly. I have. Yeah, yeah, you probably you probably have. I mean, you know, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a, a doctor, at least not a, not a gastroenterologist. But yeah, yeah. but uh, this this fellow uh, Chopra, he says uh, you probably have an inflamed microbiome. That's entirely true. I wish I could throw some some calming agents. <sighs> well, what you, what you need is a super gene. Okay, because super genes are the key to health and well-being, um, as he says right in the title of his uh, new best-selling book. I, so it's possible. I also see that I may I may have a leaky gut syndrome. <laughs> well, you in may. Fact, you in may. In fact, I, about about an hour ago, I did, uh, and it's. I'm not. I'm not sure that's the right way to describe it. It was. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't le- like. I mean, but it, it says here uh, that. Um, that leaky gut syndrome is poorly understood, and it is not. You might it might surprise you, Don, to hear this, but it's not a diagnosis that's been taught in medical school. Well, my gosh, the, that's just you know. I mean, the medical schools need to get up to up to speed with uh, with this. The leak, yeah, it's funny how um, my intestinal tract can leak uh, and allow substances through some microscopic openings, and it's lining to the rest of the body. It's, I'm, I like it when people are, this is like, um, it's like a crossover. It's like a crossover comic where one superhero, Deepak Chopra has now crossed over, over into another superhero's realm and are, is picking up some, some really good, 
uh, tips in the world of uh, microbiology, and it's working well. And you know, uh, we would we would link to um, we would link to the Forbes article on this, except that uh, Forbes reports to me that it looks like I'm using uh, an ad blocker, and I need to turn it off in order to continue uh, into Forbes ad light experience. Except oh. Ben, when I turn off my ad blocker, it says I'm still using an ad blocker. So um, so all I can really see is the uh, Forbes quote of the day, um, uh, which is from Serena Williams, which I will share with you now. Um, I've had to deal with a lot of labels, too strong, too sexy, too focused on tennis, uh, too strong. What does that mean? I don't know. It just means I'm stronger than you. So, and, and, you know, I'm not going to argue with uh, Serena on that. Um, so, but I'm also not going to link to this Forbes article because, uh, uh we, we will link to the page that, that, uh, says that, that you're using an ad blocker, but we're not going to link to the article, um, because, uh, because people at Forbes are idiots. <laughs> well, they will, we might find it somewhere else. Well, you could Google, you know, Deepak Chopra bacteria. Um, and I'm sure you could find it unless you're using an ad blocker and then um, you'll never be able to see it yeah well unless you use a different browser so my, my solution uh with the, this world of ad blocking is um i run uh i run safari uh for all my day-to-day browsing but if i need to look at anything that's flash or that's uh, not working with because of my ad blocking or poor implementation of ad light experiences um then i just go to uh, uh chrome so yeah, but 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 we're not going to link to it in the show notes because that's not how my workflow works. No. So take that, Forbes. <clears throat> uh, Forbes, Forbes, Forbes. I wish, um, I wish the, the internet was easier sometimes. <laughs> well, you know what the internet is good for, Ben. Um, it's good for finding people that agree with you. Well, it's good for finding people that are fans of our podcast who then write to us. Oh. So I would like to I would like to read some feedback from a listener um, uh, who says you can read my message but not my name. Okay, and uh, I will I will read to you from this message. Um, uh, uh, wow. Uh, okay, that's all in caps. I don't know if you could tell that from the way that I read it. it was, okay, yeah, wow, all in caps. Yeah. Just found your podcast! Exclamation point. So already Doug, does, Doug doesn't, doesn't like her, but I do. Um, I'm, I'm a corporate quality and food safety manager for a large food manufacturing company. I love the information in your podcast and have shared it with my peers in the USA. Parentheses, yes, I am Canadian. Um, close parentheses. I love the banter and the great discussions. It helps me to stay interested and up to date in issues similar and different than what I am dealing with on a daily basis. At first, I did not know how to take your Canadian comments, I, I, <laughs> but since 50% of your team is Canadian, I am okay. Um, uh, and then she she adds, uh, "Lol, you make nerds cool." So, so thanks to anonymous uh, listener um, at hotmail.com. And and I think um, just like a just like a good Canadian, you, you take your Canadian comments uh, with a Tim Hortons double double. <laughs> Well, on the side and a, a yeah a, a large large double double and a um I, I think a double chocolate donut yeah, and hockey and hockey <laughs> with a, a sprinkle of maple syrup from the from the hinterlands eh? a <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you uh, anonymous uh, individual who listens to the podcast and indeed um I, it is it's fun that people people find us and it's they, and it you know and we continue to grow our podcast at about one listener a week um <clears throat> which is fantastic and and again please do write to us 
We do love to hear from you. Um, we would, you know, um, please give us feedback. Um, if you tell us that you, you know, if you tell us good things, we'll probably read your comments on the air. If you say mean or hurtful things, we'll, we'll probably just, uh, you know, internalize it and, and not share it. But, but for the most part, people do really seem to like what we're doing and, uh, and share their comments. And the people that don't, don't like what we're doing, they, they don't seem to send us any comments, which is nice. No, and sometimes people who, you know, uh, this is going to be a segue into uh, your weekend. Sometimes mm. people who don't like what they're, what we're doing um, do write about it in, in, a, in a blog, and then we invite them on the podcast, and, uh, and we have them on, and then we interact with them. And, and I get the sense that this weekend you um, interacted with some, some raw milk folks who, uh, one of them, we had on the podcast. Yes, indeed. So I was asked. So uh, yeah. So I was asked to speak at the uh, NOFA New Jersey Winter Conference, uh, and that stands for uh, Northeast Organic Farmers Association of New Jersey. And uh, actually, I was asked to be part of two different events there. And and uh, it actually was very very convenient. So while you had to go to Guatemala um, to reach 150 people, uh, I had to drive 20 minutes on a <laughs> Sunday, um, and I could I could talk to. Uh, 20 people, actually uh, 20 people in the morning and about 20 people in the afternoon. So, um, I'm not sure. And, and, uh, was not affected by the snowstorm. So, um, but yeah, so I gave a talk in the morning on, uh, food safety 101 for people who were, uh, basically people who are farmers that were looking to do some value added work. And, and this, this was, and I posted a little bit of a link about this on, uh, on Facebook. Um, but basically, um, you know, I, it was sort of, a, a sort of two, 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 two competing thoughts or two related thoughts. Why I went the way that I did in terms of my strategy. Number one, I'm lazy and I did not want to make slides. Okay. I like I, that. Yeah. That's a non-traditional. Don't call it lazy. <laughs> right. Non-traditional. Um, and, and then, and then related to that, um, I've also discovered thanks to my conversations with you, I am pretty good at like shucking and jiving for about an hour and a half, you yeah. know? And so I figured I could fill, uh, the available time. And also I didn't really know, like I could prepare a talk on food safety 101, but I didn't know who was going to be in the audience, right? Um, and so I didn't really know whether they were – what kinds of foods they were interested in or what their questions were. And so I said, well, you know, I've got – as I joked to the audience before I started my talk, um, in a way I didn't prepare at all for this talk. On the other hand, I've been preparing for 25 years to give, to give this talk, right? Yeah. So – and that guy got a laugh after I told them that that was a laugh line. Um, so uh, that, that always makes me feel good when I point out the jokes and then they laugh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I basically talked a little bit uh, – well, I opened up with asking everybody for what their thoughts were on you know what they wanted to know, right? Why were they here? And, and got feedback about a, a diverse array of food products, everything from cakes and cookies all the way through uh, hot entrees, right, in terms of what they wanted to prepare. And so – and then we talked a little bit about regulations and we talked about you know uh, FDA – versus USDA versus, you know, state regulations. And fortunately, most of the, all the people in the audience were actually from New Jersey. Although I did see, I did see some Pennsylvania and other license plates um, in, in the parking lot, but all the people in that session were from New Jersey. So we could talk about uh, the New Jersey uh, chapter 24, which is the New Jersey state food code and how they would be regulated under that. Um, and just had a really good discussion about regulations. And then when that, that kind of um, when we sort of ran out of things to talk about there, then I sort of took it back to food safety 101. I talked about pH, talked about water activity, talked about temperature, uh, talked about 
you know, how that would relate to all the different foods. And then, and also I was very lucky to have a couple people in the audience. Uh, one, somebody I know from, uh, New Jersey, uh, association for food protection, who has been in the food industry, who's now working for an organic food company. And so he was there. Um, and he's, you know, again, very knowledgeable in food safety and then had another person who, uh, is retired, was retired from state department of health, um, who is just very active in the organic food movement. Um, and, and again, and between the two of them and me, we all kind of worked together to, to, to talk about this stuff and ended up having like a really, really good, uh, really good discussion. And then, uh, and, and so, and, and they told me, I asked, I said, so, you know, can you put me in a room with a whiteboard or a blackboard? And they said, well, no, we can't. But then it turns out when I, but I, but you know, they did give me a flip chart, but then it turns out when I got to the room, they had a document camera. Have you ever used a document camera? No. What is that? So a document camera is a thing. That basically, it's a uh, it's like sort of the the future version of an overhead projector, okay. um, except that it doesn't require transparencies. Basically, what you do is you you put a piece of paper down on the document camera and you write on it, and then there's there's cameras uh, basically above above that screen, which then takes that it basically takes that input and then gotcha. throws it up on the, on the screen for you. And so it really made it very easy to sort of take some notes. And I used, I used the flip charts as well. Um, and, and that just sort of helped me sort of structure my thinking a little bit and make some, make some slides, uh, sort of on the fly. Um, which of course I, I saved, I took a picture of all that and posted that on Facebook, but also took a picture of it because if I ever have to give a food safety one-on-one talk again, I've at least now sort of got the, the nucleus, you know, for farmers, I at least I've got the nucleus of that. So, so that was how I spent my morning. And then I, I went back home, took the dog for a walk, and then went back um, in the uh, afternoon to have a discussion about uh, raw milk. And this was, this was really, uh, really interesting. And so what it was, was, um, uh, let's see, the, the, uh, it was a panel discussion with the topic of the panel discussion, quote, should New Jersey farmers be permitted to distribute local, fresh, unpasteurized milk? And uh, what it was supposed to be originally was David uh, Gumpert, who has been a guest on the podcast, as you mentioned, and me um, debating <laughs> this point. And it, it, it's the whole thing. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to debate anybody, right? Because debate assumes that you have a, a side. And, and I, I don't really have a, a dog in this fight, so to speak. I don't have a side. But I would be happy to have a discussion. So the whole thing reads like a debate. Um, but but nowhere is debate mentioned because I said I'm not going to have a debate. Um, and and then uh, my colleague at Rutgers University, Joe Heckman, who is a rel- well-known uh, raw milk advocate, um, wanted to be part of the uh, one of the sides of this discussion. <laughs> um, and he said, "Well, so don't you have a graduate student who's working on raw milk?" And I said, "No, Joe, I, I don't have any graduate students working on raw milk." And he says, "Well." didn't you write an article for Vision's newsletter with one of your graduate students on raw milk? I said, yes, indeed, I did. And he said, well, why did why did you write that article? I said, well, Joe, because she wanted to write something about raw milk. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do when we write, you know, articles well, like that. We're interested in, uh, in yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I invited my, my graduate student, Jenny Todd, who uh, was a real trooper and who did who did come down and, and was part of the discussion. And she's, it, was a, it, was, it was a good experience for her, I think. But um, – so it was an it was an audience basically full of raw milk drinkers and and raw milk advocates and uh and both both uh, both Joe and David were were 
hawking their wares. Apparently, they both had books that they wanted to sell. I kind of felt like I should have a book or something. And I thought about, well, you know, I could promote the podcast, but I'm I, I that just I, it makes me feel a little bit like like dirty, right? Like like here they're they're talking about these books that they're trying to sell, and I'm like, you know, I don't even I, I, even though I have a free podcast that I could promote, I don't. It makes me feel very uncomfortable, so I'm just not going to do it. Um, so. But it was it was it was a lot of fun, and I really did enjoy it. And and I tried to um, I tried to repeatedly. I mean, I felt like a little bit like a, a political candidate. I r- sort of repeated the same message, and it's the same stuff that we talk about here. Let's talk about risk. Let's talk about denominators, right? Let's 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 make fair comparisons. I mean, at one point, uh, David said, you know, things about Campylobacter being a relatively mild illness, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait Whoa. a minute. Let's talk about let's talk about sequelae. Let's talk about Guillain-Barré syndrome. Let's talk about reactive arthritis. And so I tried I tried very hard to to not not have an opinion, right, about about raw milk. I talked. I did talk about legalization of marijuana and gay marriage a couple of times, as as a as a as a kind of an analogy, um, which I'm not sure how they how they took that. Um, but but again, my point was: look, I'm not. I don't want to debate raw milk. I want to help you have a productive discussion with whoever about it. And of course, we do have. A, as we always seem to do, we have a, a, a raw milk bill in New Jersey right now, um, which, as I was a, a colleague shared with me, is that we will always have a raw milk bill in New Jersey because there's one congressman in particular who's particularly committed to the issue. So every time the bill goes to committee and dies in committee, they, they will start the bill again. But um, but it was it was a, it was a, it was a very good it was a very good discussion, um, and uh, and we did actually have some uh, questions that that were uh, we that were sort of part of our potentially part of our talking points. And I'll, I'll read you some of these, some of these questions. Um, I don't, I don't think we actually, uh, dealt with really any of these questions, but, um, yeah, it's, it, well, and, and again, my points were like, you know, if, if, if raw milk has a benefit to New Jersey farmers, I'm all in favor of it. But, but the, the question I asked of the audience is how would you feel if raw milk becomes legal in New Jersey, a bunch of dairy farmers um, basically begin selling raw milk, and then one dairy farmer causes an outbreak. What do you think the consequences will be to those other dairy farmers? Right. So right. I try. I tried to raise those those kinds of questions. I also tried to raise questions about okay, so the the raw milk re- legislation that's proposed in New Jersey um, uh, has standards, has coliform standards, and it has uh, somatic cell count standards. So. Are those based on science? Are those protected by public health? Where's where's the science to to indicate that? Um, and and so those those were the kinds of questions that I I repeatedly raised with the audience. And I think I think in the end they were I'm not sure if they if they ever understood that I was on their side or at least that I wasn't against their side. Um, but I think that hopefully a few people sort of got their eyes opened about like how we really, you know, you really need to have a discussion about risk and you can share all the anecdotal evidence you want about how this cured your asthma, but that's not really going to affect things. And, and, you know, and I'll, I'll share like one, one last comment. There was a particularly vocal, um, raw milk proponent who, who for some reason stood during the entire, uh, uh session. She stood in the back of the room. Uh, maybe she has, maybe she's a bad back or something. Probably should probably drink some more raw milk. It might help with that. But, um, but her comment was that, um, uh, uh, 11 people a day die from asthma. 
uh, and that raw milk has been shown uh, to you know, cure asthma or prevent asthma. And I'm like, okay, so that's great. So let's assume that everyone in the country starts drinking raw milk. He said, well, that will never happen. I'm like, okay, well then you can't put up as evidence that people should drink raw milk, that you have 11 people, um, uh, a, a day dying from asthma because I'm about to do the math and compare denominators. And if you're going right. to tell me that the denominators don't match, then, then you're never going to cure those cases. And, and the, the oh, one more point that I did share with them that I think, I think, made a connection. And I said, look, if more people start drinking raw milk, we will have more cases and we will have more outbreaks. And I also shared the, the, what we've talked about before on the podcast about whole genome sequencing and the ability of the, the public health radar to detect, detect problems. I said, so are you convinced that raw milk can get safer faster than um, then, then, then the, the public health will get better at catching it. So mm-hmm. anyway. And what was the, what was their, what was the response to that? Mm, or was that just sort the, of like thrown hmm. out there? No, that was just, yeah, there wasn't a direct response, but it was just like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 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 A lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of, a lot of, uh, hmms and, and nodding, I think like, so I think, again, I began to make a, uh, make a connection. So, well, it's, it, it's always an interesting discussion to be part of and it's an unwinnable debate on either side right like like when and i'm I'm glad that you um that you didn't take the the debate bait Mm -hmm. uh and and jump in and say okay well here's here's my side as a scientist and here's your side as as the raw milk drinker advocate Mm -hmm. farmer because it doesn't it, it doesn't. Well, it can't possibly move things forward. Well, right? it's and again, it's 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 you know, should New Jersey farmers be permitted to distribute local fresh unpasteurized milk? I don't have an opinion, right? right? It's that's a that's a legal question. Um, right now, I certainly wouldn't recommend it because it appears to be against the law, right? So that probably would not help the farmers. Um, yeah. And if it becomes legal, then h- how can we help them do that in as safe a way as possible? And I yeah. think. I, I think that certainly there are we, we have colleagues um, who would gladly debate it, but but I don't but I don't think a debate is a productive discussion because because each side is very convinced that they're right and and yes. and the food safety experts are definitely convinced that raw milk causes disease. And it's true. And what the raw milk people will say to that is, well, you know, tomatoes cause outbreaks and leafy greens cause outbreaks. Are we going to pasteurize those? And of course, the answer to that is no. So um, so what does that mean that we need to do? Well, we know tomato producers have certain things in place. Uh, you know, leafy green producers have certain things in place. Uh, the, the FISMA fresh produce rule is coming along. It's going to it's going to continue to raise the bar. In terms of that, whole genome sequencing is going to continue to help us make connections between these cases. Um, you know, I mean, and, and, and Gumpert made the point that, you know, in the three Chipotle E. coli outbreaks, uh, we don't have a cause yet. And that's true, you know, and no one's suggesting that, that all Chipotles be closed. And that's, that's also definitely true. But I would say that we we do know the cause of of three of the chipotle the three other chipotle right, right. outbreaks um and we can we can do things to prevent that and again chipotle is working to try to to fix those those problems at least that's what we we believe or that's what they're telling us so anyway it it was it was good and and they did they originally had a scheduled it was the the session lasted 90 minutes and they originally had uh 60 minutes of discussion and 30 minutes of q and a with the audience and i think um about 30 minutes in i just 
started interacting with the audience and we got the audience involved, which I think was helpful because people did have it, did have, they have things they wanted to say. Uh, and, and I think we had it overall, we had a good discussion and, um, uh, I learned, uh, the week prior to the conference. So last week I learned that it was going to be videotaped or audio taped or something. <laughs> so, oh, cool. so, um, maybe that will make, uh, maybe that will surface at some point and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll certainly share that with people. So, well, that, that sounds awesome. Um, I would like to, to view that. Um, if, if not for, uh, the, just the pure pleasure of seeing you on video. Um, and, but I, uh, I, I don't know. I, so I think this exact topic, this exact talk, we could place this discussion anywhere in any conference from like 1990 to Two thousand and and uh, and, and, and three hundred years, <laughs> twenty three hundred. Right? Like, like this is not. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not optimistic that we will ever not have this discussion. I, at at the root of it is, does the person who's making the raw milk know how to control the hazards that are there? Can they actually do it? And does the person who's buying the raw milk know? how that person's controlling the hazards and that there will be a risk, um, associated with it. And if everybody's happy with that, then, then we've answered the, how are they making it? Are they making it as safe as possible? And that people know that there's still going to be a risk involved. And I'm, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that, that that's kind of it. I, it, it really bothers me that it just continuously gets into the, the pissing match. And I wonder, like you and I say this, I wonder if still folks on the raw milk, advocacy in the advocacy world think that you and I, as we talk about it, just like this are in a pissing match saying that raw milk is bad, right? Like, even though that's not how we would categorize our discussion, mm-hmm. that's what is heard because right. we're not, because we're not saying it's amazing. Right. Right. We're saying it's, a, there's a risk. Right. And, uh, but, but that doesn't mean that we're saying that other things are risk-free. And, it, and again, I'm, I, what I want to have is I want to have a risk-based discussion. And I, I do believe um, that there are people at FDA that w- don't want to have that discussion, right? I mean, there, I think that there are some, cl- not the people we know, but there right. are people at the regulatory agencies that are closed-minded and that, that, are, that don't take a risk-based approach. Now, I think I can argue their case pretty well because I think they would say that uh, historically we've had uh, a problem with raw milk. Uh, milk pasteurization fixed a lot of the problems and we don't want to go back. We don't want to change that because that would be moving backwards. And of course, the, uh, the, again, I will argue the, the pro-raw milk side to say that, well, those conditions uh, and those far, and this is something that, that both Gumpert and, and Heckman brought up, is that uh, those conditions in those farms when when raw milk was causing disease in this cause you know was was widely consumed and, ca- and causing a lot of disease those conditions don't exist anymore and that indeed if you pasture your cows on grass and you have a clean milking parlor and you you know you have this coliform count limits and somatic cell count limits all of that works to produce a much higher qu- quality product than what was being produced at you know in the last century when we were having all these raw milk outbreaks and, and I think that's also a valid point but um, anyway. 
Yeah, uh, we can. We will. And and Joe Joe mentioned um, uh, that he is a part going to be part of a, uh, a symposium. I think it looks like he's going to be part of a symposium at the IAFP annual meeting in St. Louis. So um, it has cleared uh, preliminary review by the program committee, and it's listed on the IAFP website. And we will we will link to the page. Um, and the title of the session is Raw Milk Discussion: An Amicable Exchange of Experts. Now, when I hear that, Ben. What I think is that they've each captured somebody from the other side, and they're going to have a prisoner exchange, oh, a friendly, I'll... a friendly prisoner exchange. Like we've got one of yours, you've got one of ours. We're going to meet on a bridge in the middle of the night, and and they're going to walk across the bridge towards us, and you're going to walk across the bridge towards them, and then and nobody's going to try any funny business. <laughs> I'm if that is what you're expecting to see, I will be there with bells on. Uh-huh. Uh, I would love that. I mean, how notable is that? The only prisoner exchange ever in the history of IAFP. Yes. That that we're aware of. That we're aware of. That we're aware of. It might have happened, but um, that that sounds, uh, sounds amazing. Sounds like, how could you miss that? Hey, um, hey, go ahead. Speaking of IAFP and debating, Mm -hmm. I'm apparently doing a debate. Nice. Yeah, and so it's uh, it's part of the the I don't know if it's all been approved or anything like that, but it was submitted to Ilse and it got the preliminary um, approval. And I will be debating um, uh, a, a sort of friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, uh, Kelly Stevens from mm-hmm. General Mills. Do you know Kelly? I do not. So Kelly, Kelly and I, we we go way back. We mm. we've known each other for. For almost, you know, probably 15 years mm. um, in the in the world of food safety, she was a graduate student with Leanne Jacobs, mm-hmm. and I was a graduate student with Doug, and we partied in um, New Orleans, one of the most memorable or not so memorable um, IAFPs, depending on how you look at it, um, of all time. <laughs> and so, here's the debate, and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm priming your your mind for this now because we're I'm gonna come back to this as we get closer because I want to hear some stuff. Mm-hmm. It is in the current perspectives in food safety session, mm-hmm. um, and the question is: Does the food industry need to change its approach to food safety management, taking into account cultural differences between boomers and millennials? Oh, oh my! I, I, <laughs> right, uh, right, right, uh, no, right, okay. no. Is my answer Ben? No. And and so their their question to me was, would you be willing to debate the yes perspective? <laughs> and and you said, how much will you pay me? And I, you couldn't possibly pay me enough. I said Ugh. I said yes, but I, with the with what they don't know yet, and again, <laughs> the caveat is that I don't really have an opinion in this in this world, and I think that the question isn't exactly right. Excellent. So you're going to debate. Yes, that's, yeah. That, and that's kind of like how I went into this raw milk yeah. discussion. It's like, I don't, that's a great question. I don't have an opinion on that question, but let me tell you what some really good questions would be. Yeah. And exactly. it's on those ones. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. Food safety culture needs to be appropriate to time and place. Uh, yeah. And the, okay. yeah, I, the, my, my favorite, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm letting the, um, I'm, I'm going to use as many cliches today as possible. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag or, as Cam Newton, uh, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, has said, I'm letting the cat out of the hat, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, 
It's better than keeping the cat under your hat. It is. It is. What about the Gen Xers? What about them? Come on. We got boomers. We got millennials. Have you guys forgotten the Gen Xers? Everybody forgets the Gen Xers. That's why they that's have what, the. That's why they have the the personality complex. The that angst. That's the why. Angst, yeah. That's why we have emo music. <laughs> you guys don't get it. <sighs> yeah. So so anyway, it's I, it'll be. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what to do yet. I haven't I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. But I'll I'll be interested to. Oh, I'm interested in what I end up saying. Yes, I'm always interested in what you end up saying. It's, it'll be a surprise to all, me included. Excellent, excellent. Well, that that actually, the fact that, so number one, that sounds like a total snooze fest. Uh, number two, <laughs> the fact that you're going to not answer the question, I, I'm there, man. It I'm there. I'm ready. Unless, unless it conflicts with, uh, with the exchange of raw milk experts, well, <laughs> in, which case, in which case I'm totally not going to your session. How hopefully the exchange of the raw milk experts amicable exchange um, mm-hmm. happens very quickly. I mean, really, like the it it should just be walking <laughs> the room, right? So I bet somebody's going to try some funny business. Someone might. Someone's got a someone's got something in their pocket. So is that is that a is that some funny business in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see the uh, experts? I, I think you're thinking of the Pretender song. Uh. <laughs> um, I'll stand by you. Brass in pocket. Right. <laughs> Get some brass in your pocket. I got. Oh man. Um, hey, so a uh, friend of the podcast and former graduate student of mine, uh, Dane Jensen, just texted me. He said, uh, "Just finished the sous vide podcast. Nice one." Oh, thank you. And Dave. I said, "I said thanks." Recording another now, and he says, "Right now?" And I said, right "Yes." Now. And he says, "Say hi to Ben." So, so Dane says hi. What's up, Dane? <laughs> Love Dane. Hold on. Dane. Ben says, "What's up?" Okay. <laughs> Um, Dane, Dane, uh, loved uh, the last email. I just, uh, Googled, not Googled, searched his name on my, on my, on my computer. He emailed us back in December mm-hmm. saying, I read your interview about food safety in Chipotle in us news. Cause you and I were both quoted mm-hmm. said, nice. Where was the shameless podcast plug? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> not everything, not everything we say makes it in. Let's just Could, say yeah. couldn't squeeze it in. Um, uh, Hey, so I, I'm texting you something that you might've seen last week. Mm-hmm. That I want to get your thoughts on. Okay. Um, it's uh, an article that was in The Guardian that says most British eggs are safe for pregnant women. Report. <laughs> and it's got a uh, fantastic picture. Yes, a very nice picture. Of two eggs. Mm. Of two, well. One fertilized and one perhaps not. Correct. Um, so the, the story goes uh, pregnant women should be told that they can safely eat runny eggs almost 30 years after the salmonella crisis, a report says. Um this is a report from uh, the UK, and it's the Advisory Committee on the Microbiological Safety of Food. Uh, and the report by the committee says lion-marked eggs, which make up almost 90% of the UK pro- production, should be categorized as very low risk in, a, I guess, a qualitative risk assessment sense um, because uh, of improved hygiene and storage has resulted in a major reduction in the microbiological risk from salmonella and British hen eggs in the last 15 years. Um, so it goes on to say this report, and I'm quoting from this article that quotes a report that mm-hmm. I cannot find. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've done any – if you've seen this and you've been able to find it. I can't find it. I've, I Googled it. It's not on the ACMSF website. It just – there's a report that, that the press has that no scientist is allowed to look at. Huh. Um, the very low – this is a quote from the report. The very low risk level means that eggs produced under the line code or produced under demonstrably equivalent comprehensive schemes can be served raw 
or lightly cooked to all groups in society, including those that are more vulnerable to infection in both domestic and commercial settings, including care homes and hospitals. Okay. Raw, raw, the raw eggs are in the, in the hospitals now in the UK. Go for it. Huh. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, they don't, they, they you sure they don't want to, they don't want to cook them piping hot. <laughs> I don't, they have to cook them with a bagpiper. Cause I think Bag, bagpiping hot bagpiping hot in a, it's haggis, haggis hot. Oh God. I, you know, what is, is the demand for runny eggs amongst pregnant women that great? I guess so. Maybe it's a mayonnaise thing. Maybe it's a aioli. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the telling part of this article to me. Mm-hmm. This is uh, so the FSA, the Food Safety uh, uh, Authority or agency, with a, whatever the A is for mm-hmm. in the UK says the spokeswoman says the committee has acknowledged that there has been a major reduction in risk from salmonella in the UK eggs since 2001. This is especially the case for eggs produced under the Lion brand scheme or equivalent schemes. But then she went and said that the FSA would wait for the results of a 12-week consultation on the committee's report before deciding whether to change its advice. Um, Doug, Doug posted this, uh, in the, in, in the barf blog mm-hmm. with the title of, I'd like to see the risk assessment. Yeah. Yeah. I would too. Right. Like, where's the risk assessment? So what is it like? So I don't, I, we need, we need to see, we got to see the numbers. Yeah. You can't just tell people it's all good now. Or, yeah. I mean, you can, but, and then expect everyone to believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and I did. I did find the ACMSF website, and they yeah. do have some reports. But the Not most recent one. one on Salmonella and eggs is two thousand and one. So uh, yeah, how about uh, how about you share the uh, report? I so <sighs> at the bottom it says, "Is there anything wrong with this page?" I'm going to send them a message saying, "Yes." No Where's the raw egg report? Yeah, I I just don't I just don't get it. Um. Oh, here we go. Someone actually posted it. Hmm. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Someone, someone put a comment on here and say it's on. It's, um, and then the line mark eggs are from uh, inoculated egg or hens. So they, so they have been um, vaccinated. Okay. See for SE. Okay. Okay. So, so again, well, show me the data, right? Right. What's the? Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know. I guess that. Um, it would be, yeah. I don't know. What do you, so, so say the data's there that says, uh, one in, um, I don't know, uh, 10 million eggs. Wow. Well, Vessi. Let me, I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if that's, what if the data says that? What do you say? What do you, what do you think for low, for high risk populations? Well, I, again, I you know I I would say honestly I would say le- label them and let the pregnant women make their own choice. Don't be telling pregnant women it's okay. Label them and and, and tell them you know uh, uh, let them make their own choice. It all comes back to telling people what to do is a risk management decision. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Good. I'm 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 good with that. I'm totally good with that. Mm. So anyway, I just I found so someone nicely posted a comment already on a barf blog that I didn't notice, saying here's here's a link to the draft report. Okay, cool. Um, I there was one other thing I wanted to talk about with you. Um, let me go back and find it. 
Um, it was. I'm just. This is filler now. You know what I'm. You know what I'm doing mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just gonna sing. Well, sing. I, I, I wanna, I wanna, oh. I wanna talk about uh, Crunchy Frog. <laughs> oh yeah, Crunchy Frog. <laughs> so, I, uh, I remember. So Crunchy Frog is a very uh, famous or well n- notable uh, Monty Python skit. Uh, which we will link to uh, in show notes, um, because you know, and I remember, I remember a friend of mine who, when we were in grade school, was a huge Monty Python fan, and he could quote this entire skit word for word, the whole, the whole thing, and it is, it is remarkably, um, uh, I think, appropriate today. Um, for example. Um, it basically, it opens with a couple of cops walking into the uh, Wizzo Chocolate Company oh, yes, and accosting uh, the uh, principal of that company uh, about what they're selling. And, um, and I, again, I, I won't read the whole thing because it, it is quite hilarious and we'll link to, the, uh, we'll link to a YouTube video of it. But apparently, um, uh, the, the, the proprietor of the company says, we only use the finest baby frogs, dew-picked and flown from Iraq, cleansed in the finest, finest quality spring water, lightly killed and sealed in a succulent Swiss quintuple smooth treble milk chocolate envelope, lovingly frosted with glucose, uh, to which the inspector says that that's as it may be, but it's still a frog. <laughs> what else? Well, don't you even take the bones out? If we took the bones out, it wouldn't be crunchy, would it? So anyway, it's, uh, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a remarkable piece of sketch comedy and it's remarkably appropriate even today in today's food safety world. So, um, with that, um, uh, we take you back to our regular program. <laughs> it's, it's good. No. So I forgot to tell you when you sent crunchy frog to me last mm-hmm. week that, um, one of my friends in high school, we did not go to the same high school. Um, just for, you know, for interest sake and not, not really in the same high school era. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one, so one of my friends and another one of his friends, uh, uh, did performed a uh, crunchy frog oh. at a, uh, school assembly, uh, talent show, um, that involved the very, um, uh, last bit of crunchy frog includes some, some nausea and, mm-hmm. some, and some vomiting mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, my friend uh, had to hold a mouthful of cream corn um, for almost the entire sketch. <laughs> yes, playing it, playing the role played in the sketch by Graham Chapman, who looks genuinely queasy throughout the whole sketch. Uh, probably because he's got a mouthful of vomit. Is uh, is getting ready? Yeah. So uh, funny. It's uh, it, it took me back to to uh, Port Hope High School. Um. So I found out what I wanted. <laughs> Uh, I, I must warn you in the future that you should delete the words crunchy frog and replace them with the legend crunchy, raw, unboned, real dead frog if you want to avoid prosecution. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I found what I wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. which is uh, an outbreak that we, that we haven't touched on yet. Um, some listeria making people sick and, and one death linked to some dull salads. Oh yes. We have not talked about this. We've not talked about it. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it um, isn't, so, um, here's the, here's the setup, uh, uh, about, uh, actually while I was in, while I was in Florida, uh, there were some illnesses, uh, linked to, uh, uh, illnesses, five illnesses being investigated in Canada, sorry, nine illnesses being investigated in Canada that were, uh, listeria related to, in five different provinces. Um, the somewhat cryptic, uh, notification that came from, uh, 
the first thing that I saw was from the Ministry of Health in Ontario said um, they're being investigated and we're helping. Then there was something from the Public Health Agency of Canada saying uh, bagged salads are being uh, investigated. And then the next day, um, the uh, CDC put out a very interestingly worded um, uh, post on a listeria outbreak. And, and I say it's very interesting worried, worded because if you look back on, as, as you and I do, at how CDC puts out information, this one is very much to the point. The hmm. title, in fact, says, Multi-State Outbreak of Listeriosis Linked to Packaged Salads Produced at Springfield, Ohio Dole Processing Facility. I'm looking at it right now. That is so kind of new. Hmm. Oh, you mean like, 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 because historically CDC has always said facility A or facility B, they have not named names. Whereas, whereas FDA is, is perfectly willing to name names. Exactly. Huh. This is new to me. It's not brand new. We've seen it in a couple other spots, but this was like, came out quick. So now we're at a case count of 15 in eight different states, one death, 15 hospitalizations out of the 15 cases, mm-hmm. and uh, seven illnesses, sorry, not nine, uh, in Canada hmm. with the same strain, um, whole, whole genome sequenced, confirmed. And I think that, to me, is why, this is my guess, why... They're so specific at Springfield, Ohio, Dole Processing Facility. I think it's whole genome sequencing. Hmm. Interesting. That says, says, you know what? We know one in 252 billion chance or whatever the the odds ratio is that this specific pathogen came from this specific spot. So we're going to go ahead and and put put it out there. Huh. Yeah. Um, Long sort of history on the illnesses goes back to September. Um, the source of illnesses were not known until January 2016 when a laboratory result from a packaged salad collected in Ohio linked the illnesses. And that, um, that uh, laboratory analysis of that um, prepackaged salad was from some routine surveillance. Yeah, we you know we need routine surveillance, and and we've talked before about the 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 USDA uh, MDP right. program, which was killed basically by the industry um, because they didn't like have, having to do all these recalls without any actual outbreaks. And as I argued in front of a bunch of produce people some time ago at a conference, just because you're not linking them doesn't mean that they're not linked. And this is just, I think this is a pretty compelling example that we do need routine surveillance because um, yeah, otherwise we would have, we would have had all these cases linked to some unknown food, right? And now, and now we have a connection. Absolutely. And it, so, I mean, I, I get the argument going back to the the MDP, why why it got killed. The argument was it probably shouldn't be USDA doing it. And in fact, why they were doing the MDP was not from a regulatory standpoint. It was that they were doing it to preserve the marketing aspect because it was through AMS, the um, um, what is agricultural agricultural market service, service, right? So, so I, I get that, that it shouldn't have been there. It should be somewhere. Like it should be at FDA. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure I buy the argument that it shouldn't have been there because, you know, what's going what's gonna to help you to market your food is to not make people sick, right? Well, and, I, and the part of yeah. making people not, pe- not making people sick is finding out where the bacteria are. I, I agree with that. I, mm. think, I think I disagree with it being part of 
um, AMS for different reasons from the agriculture industry. I think that AMS makes it too focused on high-valued types of products or mm. crops as opposed to let's do surveillance on foods for public health reasons. Ah, okay. In other words, let's let's focus where the risk is instead right. of where the value is. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I could, I could argue, I could argue both sides of that. I think so, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we should have a debate. We on should that. have a debate. I, I feel like I'll take the yes and you take the no, and, <laughs> and then later we'll decide what the question is, and then and we'll both we'll both not answer that question, but answer other different questions. Yeah. But we will exchange experts, yes. uh, amicably. amicably. It'll be it'll be very cool uh, at the end because we'll have we'll sign a treaty. We'll. <laughs> I, that's something the, I'm uh, North, North American Free Food Poisoning Treaty. Free, yeah, free food poisoning. Uh, no free uh, food poisoning for everyone. Free everybody sign up. No expert left behind. <laughs> I think it's how we're going to focus on that. Or it it takes a village of experts. It takes a village. Yes. Um, so yeah. So so anyway, I just uh, you know, so interesting outbreak. Um, uh, not in, yeah, if I if I was to guess and put my guessing hat on. I've got to get a hat that is that says guess guess on it, like from guess jeans, I guess, mm. or maybe uh, just a hat with a question mark on it. How with a like a Riddler hat? Yeah, um, I would. I, my my guess is that this is a plant issue, <laughs> based on it's probably listeria control in the plant, not listeria issues coming in from the product. You think? And that's my that's my guess. That's my guesstimate. Huh. Um, and 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 this is in, in fact as an example when I was in Guatemala last week what I used as this is why the everything related to FISMA as it, as it comes down to being in uh, compliance with the rule still doesn't fix this issue, this issue which is you can have all the all the best food safety plans mm-hmm. all the great all the greatest plans. Mm-hmm. You still have to be able to follow those plans and and find really where listeria might be in a system, and that's really really hard in, in fresh cut, and it's really really hard in value added fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and and you know it's funny. I I, I you said that we didn't talk about this uh, particular outbreak, and I'm I'm like, hmm. But I remember thinking about this and looking at this, and in fact, this is one of the things that I talked about um, with uh, the students that I'm teaching in in uh, oh, this, yeah. the Burn seminar this 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 semester, which is again you know, a, a bunch of basically freshmen. Um, and I did mention it, and and I said that I said we at this point we don't. I shared this with them, and, and then at one point, one of them asked, well, "So what caused it?" And I said, "I don't know, but I suspect it's a plant issue." Yeah, <laughs> right. It's sanitation and cleaning in the plant more more than likely, and and it is difficult to 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 get get rid of listeria when it's in the plant. And I guess I my question would be to Dole is and they're they're a good company, and I suspect that they'll they'll get this sorted out. But I guess my question would be, what is your hygiene monitoring program uh, for listeria look like in this plant? And 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 could you could you do a better job? And I think the answer would probably be yes. Yeah, and really, like I, I don't know if you've looked at the Epi Curve on this. Uh, oh, cur- I think curve is a is a is a yeah. bit of a misnomer. It's a, it's a it's a essentially a uniform distribution. And it's a line. It's yeah, a- yeah, exactly. It's a it's essentially a flat line, uh, occasionally going up to from one person it's to two, two person. Yeah. yeah, it's very it's a very flat curve. Yep. I don't think, and I'm I'm gonna be like, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the word is today. I don't think the industry recognizes this that this all all of these illnesses 
before whole genome sequencing. And I, I'm going to get a whole genome sequencing hat too, because I'm very, I'm, I'm high on it. I'm big, big on it. Mm-hmm. This is all baseline illnesses of listeria before mm-hmm. whole genome sequencing. Right. Right. Like, well, but, but again, we, yeah, yeah, right, right. Because we, we had no way to know that they were, they were the same strain. Yes. Yeah. And we, and they could have been a very common pattern. Mm-hmm. And now we've got, oh, look, seven, seven, five. We got one illness. Oh, that's, that's notable. Wait, another one pops up, 823, another one, 96. We know it's a common link. Even then, when, and that's what, what the article says, early September, when we have three illnesses that happen in three different states, we're now saying that's a cluster mm-hmm. and there's a common source. Mm-hmm. It's, Listeria's, Listeria's the next big thing, Don. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's it's a new it's an emerging pathogen according to Time magazine in 1994. Um, Listeria, Listeria, Listeria hysteria. Um, it, that was a Def Leppard album. Uh, little known, uh, you know, little known album. It was after Hysteria, um, and uh, it's it's this this whole genome sequencing thing with uh, Salmonella in low moisture foods and Listeria is. Uh, Hey, that's the that's the that's the new that's the new frontier. You know, you know, it, you know, now. you know, you know what food doesn't give people listeriosis? Uh, raw milk. Exactly right. Oh, man, it's because they got all the good bacteria. <laughs> no, they're actually you know that's one actually of the things. Yeah. No, it's one of the things that 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 both Joe and and David are uh, uh, Heckman and Gumpert made made comment commented on specifically is that there are no listeria outbreaks with raw milk. And it's true. There's only queso fresco outbreaks. Um, and those, those queso fresco outbreaks go back to the, the mid to early two thousands. So, um, that doesn't mean that people aren't getting sick from raw milk. It just means that they're not getting sick from listeria in raw milk. And my answer, my comment to that is, well, yes, because Listeria is a relatively high dose pathogen. Uh, also, the incubation period is rather long. Uh, and I did say that, you know, and so if, if I asked you what you ate three weeks ago, you wouldn't know, um, to which one person in the audience piked up. But yeah, I knew I had raw milk, raw milk. I, yeah. three weeks ago. And I'm like, that's great. If you got sick, would you report it? And then I, I did not, I don't recall what their response was to that. Like I think there was no response. Like, F you, Schaffner. No, no, they were very, no, I'm, they're I'm very joking. polite. They're very polite. I wish that that would have been it, though. Like, I, because that, <laughs> I don't wish that. But I do like that. Yeah, I remember I ate raw milk three weeks ago. Well, um, and this is something, again, not to bring it back to raw milk, but this is something we talked about. This is like, you know, we need, we need better epidemiology. And, 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 you know, it's, anyway, it's coming. So, and so is raw milk, apparently. Raw milk, it's, it's, uh, it's all coming. Um, what do we, what do we what do we do with this? Like, I I would be really scared of this this listeria whole genome sequencing situation. Like, because I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it, it it's really hard to deal with in the plants, and you might have been making people sick for a long time. So you have but you have no indication until you get, Oh, here are five things. Here's a whole outbreak and it's linked to you. And, and it's stuff that you did eight months ago and you're still doing today. Well, and I guess that the, what I would do, what I, the way that I would approach the problem is I would say, well, um, I, first of all, again, I really want to know what the environmental testing program is for that plant. 
Okay. And I also want to find a way to incentivize companies to test finished product. And I realize that there are problems with doing that because if they, they find Listeria, they have to do a recall, but there's got to be a way. I'm sure, um, I'm sure Mansoor at IEH has a, some sort of a test that would give us a Listeria number right. uh, from a scale of one to 10, where 10 is risky and one is not risky. Um, but that wouldn't actually give, tell us it was Listeria. It would just, you know, be, you know, Listeria ish or something. Uh, maybe he doesn't, I don't know. Maybe he's only focused on Salmonella and, and Nicole. But, um, you know, I've got to think with all of these, I mean, if you think about it, right, this is this many cases, right? So how many people ate listeria that didn't end up in the hospital, right? That had mild illness linked to this. Uh, What's the frequency of positive product coming out of that plant? And if they had a testing program in place, would they have not? Wouldn't they have caught this? Right. So I don't know. I would be. It would be very interesting to have a discussion with uh, with a, a, a fresh produce microbiologist on on what they how do they manage listeria? Because uh, I've, I've got to think that environmental testing and finished product testing are going to be helpful in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's we should have somebody on. We should, if someone is listening and wants to come talk about it, let's. We're, we would welcome you with open arms. I would like. I'd like to. Like and I'd like to hear from someone in the industry on how they would use that technology to to make risk management decisions. Like I think that's a that right. you know what that should be a debate. Or or if they don't want to use that technology, well, what's yeah. the solution? Right? What right. what else are you going to do? Yeah, that that should be an IAFP debate. It's a question I want to hear people answer. Um. <laughs> So we got the Dole stuff checked off my list. We talked about my pooping. We talked about raw milk. I, I, you know, we're an hour and a half. I think that's a show. It, it, it is a show. I want. We need to do a marathon show. <laughs> we should do for our hundredth episode. Uh huh. I think we should do like a like a, a like an anniversary. I'm gonna, I'm throwing this out there now. I don't okay. know how many. What what show number is this? What are we looking at here? Ninety something, right? Yeah. Ninety four, something like that. Yep. Okay, so so six. So we have we have a few months to deal to to plan this. But what I would like to do is bring guests on from all of our past shows, <laughs> and and we're going to talk about what it was like to be on the show, <laughs> and we are going to figure out how to do it live, and it's going to be like four hours long, and it's in prime time, and like uh, we'll see if we can get it simulcast on uh, NBC. All right. This is a goal. Cool. I'm on it. For us. Yeah, this is a goal. I like this. I like this idea that I've just come up with right now. It sounds. It sounds completely doable. I, I can't see any reason why that this all of happen. these things will work. Yeah, all of it will happen. It's, I would like. Yeah. Have you watched the? Um, I think it's like the hundredth anniversary or hundredth episode or maybe two hundredth episode of Cheers, where they go through highlights. <laughs> all the all the best uh, a clip, clip show. A clip show. That's what we need. We need a clip show, but with and then inter, intermingled with. People listening to the clip and then us talking about the clip with the person who's in the clip. And we could have some of that like uh, so sort of dreamy flashback yeah. music to like go back. Yeah. yeah, sure. And then we need one segment that's just us singing <laughs> or because da- we can't show one of us just dancing. Oh, we could if it was a video podcast, oh Ben. Gosh. Now we're talking. You know what we should do is just a live show, maybe like a tour. Uh, where we traveled to oh, your, yeah. your town, 
you and I go on tour. We do we show our dance moves, um, and people come people come watch us and talk talk. You know, actually, we might be onto something there. <laughs> we could we're going go on we're going on tour. All right. So we could, we could like we could stay on people's couches, right? We could like I, you yeah. know like Airbnb, but but with but for free and only with fans of the show. Only with fans of the show. We could do a. Oh my gosh, we are. We could do um, like living room shows mm. if people wanted us to just you know invite some friends over. We we would I would we would eat their food, we would drink their bourbon, mm-hmm. and if if you want to have ten people, fifteen people in your living room, and and we just talk about food safety, me, Don, and and your buddies, we're here, we're there, we're there. Yeah, I I think we should start small though. Mm-hmm. I'd say like a six six city tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, six, six right. Like sure. that's where you would start. Yeah, I think can, so. Yeah. So so I'm gonna throw that out there. If you right. if you're interested in hosting us on your couch, uh, in your in your town, uh, we're I'm, we're 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 interested in listening. We're not making any commitments yet. Oh, I'm in. I'm all in, man. You're in. I'm I'm, in. I'm all in. I'm I'm, I'm, to... I'm I'm ready to go tomorrow. I'm, I, mean, I got a, I got a small bag packed. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, Peoria, <laughs> we are we're ready for you. Uh, Des Moines, we're, I'm ready for some scallops. We'll see you, we'll see you in Des Moines, Don. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Last year, someone did want us to go on stage together. Remember that at the American Spice Trade Association, but you couldn't do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I talked about a whole genome sequencing, which I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really into. I'm into it like the Avet Brothers, because mm. uh, yeah, they they are super, super big fans of whole genome sequencing. They are. They have they have a, a song about it. A song called uh, "Pretty Girl from the Whole Genome Sequencing Lab." Because they, because almost all their songs start with like "Pretty Girl from Matthews," "Pretty Girl from Charlotte," "Pretty Girl from Concord." They really end up in a "Pretty Girl," so they've got one about the whole genome sequence. Um, I was that was fun. Ah, oh, glad to get back into my into my groove. You know what I have to do this afternoon, Don? What's that? Something called a faculty activity report. Oh, I got I got to do some of those too. And the, uh, yeah, oh, I got to do two different reports. Uh, on what I did the last year for extension. I did this. I did this. I, I write all down all, every podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is we're doing the new the, the new uh, um, thing. What's it called? The the new the new extension. Hmm.
This is the new extension. Meet the new extension. Same, the same new as extension. the old extension. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's fantastic. That's a rock and roll reference. That is. That's really good. Oh man. Um, this is what happens when I have a window. Anyway, you know what I'm going to do as soon as we're done because it's scheduled into one. I'm going to go edit the uh, show notes. Awesome. And for the last one, try and get it up this afternoon. Got awesome. I got an hour and a half right now. And uh, yeah, I'm going. Um, as they say in in Top Gun uh, or in fighter jets, I'm going balls to the wall on uh, getting our podcast out. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's related to um, it's re- related to the uh, navigation system or something. Hmm? Read, it, read it on the yeah. That's like the you know the things. I don't know what they're called. I'm not technical. Balls. The balls on the end of those levers. Oh. Put them to the wall. Yeah. Fast. Balls huh. to the wall. Huh. Going fast. Okay. Going fast. I'm going fast. Going. I'm all in. Like, all uh, in. Like uh, Maverick from Top Gun, you know that. I I have I familiar with that. Actually, I heard my son. My son has um, uh, "Highway to the Danger Zone" as his wake up song on on his uh, phone, and so I heard that song this morning. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's good. That's the it's a, it's a Kenny uh, uh, Kenny Loggins. I'm not sure. Uh, oh yeah, playing with the boys. Danger. Giorgio song. Moroder. I don't think you know. I don't know what that is. Danger oh. Zone. Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a oh, uh, that, Daft that, Punk that, song about Giorgio Moroder. Oh, really? Well, they they wrote "Take My Breath Away" huh. from, by Berlin. P- performed by the band Berlin. In Berlin? I don't think so. I don't even know if they're George. They're um, German. <laughs> what what has happened to the show, Ben? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you that it only reached number three on the German charts. Number yeah. one in Belgium, number four in Austria, number two in Canada. Take my breath away, that is. Hmm. Uh, number one on the U.S. Uh, Billboard Hot 100. It's a really good song. Well, I, I, you know what is also a good song is the song uh, Giorgio by Marauder by Daft Punk. Okay, uh, Giorgio by Marauder. <laughs> I'm sending it to you right now. I my, I made my kids listen to some Daft Punk a couple of weeks ago and they really liked it. Huh. But some some uh stuff off of Daft Punk. Mm. Do you have the do you have the Daft Punk app? No. I think I think it's still uh, I think it's still on my phone. It's it's very cool. Oh no. Yeah, it's called iDaft. iDaft. No, okay, I'll check that out. Rolling and scratching music. What is it? It was on homework. Sorry, the album homework. From 1997. You know this one? No. It's got uh, Defunk, Around the World. Hmm. Burning. Around the world, around the world. It's like that. Buy it, use it, break it, zoom it, quick, paste it, cut it, charge it, point it, fix it, unzip it, burn it, zip, buy it. <laughs> anyway, that is, awesome. the, that is the iDaft app. I like it. Way yeah, to go iDaft. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool for about, for about uh, thirty seconds, but anyway, I wish I wish we had helmets <laughs> with question marks. Yeah, with question marks on them, and 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 like one was spray painted gold. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's Daft Punk. Sorry, I, I, I I'm a little slow here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Remember they got yeah they got, they got they wear the helmets. I love them. Yeah. All right, all right. That's that's enough. That's enough. Daft, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Um, this is uh, always um, uh, uh, Jack Kazaich's favorite part of the cast. Yes, well, yes. He's, we do this just for Jack. Jack is Jack. Jack's already hung up. 
Well, no, he's furiously writing down that he's going to go to his local record store and buy <laughs> buy some Daft Punk LPs. Homework, <laughs> yeah, homework from Daft Punk. Um, and uh, he's going to put on flip it to uh, uh, let's see the track listing uh, side one uh, track four Daft Punk. All right, so good, so good. Anyway, my kids were rocking out to that. Um. Let us okay. So we got that. We got that. We got everything's off my list. We checked it right. out. I'm back. Where are you today? You at home? I'm at home. Back in my office. Mm. I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know what? I've I've got littered all over my office. <laughs> empties. Yeah, coffee empties and water bottle empties. <sighs> nice. Took my shoes off for this too today. Ooh, you know, little little uh, little barefoot podcasting. Nice. <laughs> you know. You know who? Uh, <laughs> since we're. You, go, you, know, you have a, a big window here. Um, yeah. You know who likes to uh, lecture uh, without his shoes on? Merlin? No, your, your Canadian buddy, Mike Rogers. What? Yeah, he takes his shoes off. Takes his shoes off? Does he wear, does he wear socks? Does he wear, is he I, barefoot? I think he, he wears socks. socks. Yeah, but he takes his shoes off. He's a weird dude. He's, he's weird. back in Canada now. He doesn't work he's, for us anymore. No, he left. He's at the, he's at the University of Guelph. He's at Guelph, right. Yeah. He, uh, back to I'm his no- roots. Yeah, I knew I've known him for roots, as they say. Roots. Yeah, I've known him forever. Like Mm -hmm. literally, like I was his RA, Mm -hmm. and then he worked for Doug. Yep. Yep. We we lived in. But see, but you didn't know about the shoes. I didn't know about the shoes. Every time I saw him, he was wearing shoes. Sometimes we cross (laughs) each other, our each other's paths in the bathroom. Was he wearing shoes then? I I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. It was a. We lived in we lived in a pod in a lounge, in a sounds weird. Oh, it was you were pod people. We were pod people, and we—it was before we even had a podcast. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So we we go we go way back. There he is. He's in the in the food science at University of Guelph. He is. Um. And he, yeah. So he he also is a is a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And makes his own stained glass. Really, I did not yeah. know that about him. Yep, he's. Uh, I think there's there are other things that he uh, he was into woodworking for a while. Hmm. Did you know he's a Beam Team member at the Canadian Light Source? No, it sounds amazing. I don't even know what that is, but it's pretty cool sounding. He's on he's on the IR Beam Line. Yeah. I think that's the green. It's, it's, it's like, like the Green Line. Yeah, it takes out to. Uh, um, it takes you to uh, Farragut Square. Farragut Square. Hmm. I think that's the that's the one that's past the red line, right? You go from the red line to the infrared line. To the infrared, yeah. To the turn the line up to eleven. <laughs> well, clearly you are not going to end this because uh, you have a big window. Um, yeah, you should end. I, I got I got stuff. To, you got stuff I, to do too because you you are end. going to post a podcast today. Post a podcast. All right. So this is it. Um, Good to talk to you. Food Safety Talk Podcast, uh, as always, awesome. Absolutely. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye, man. Bye-bye.